0: So Bibles are coming around, John chapter 5, there's a second place we're going to mark and that is Ephesians chapter 4, John 5, Ephesians 4, and let's prepare our hearts and minds to get into God's Word together. Let's pray. Father, uh, again, here we are in your presence, Lord, expecting, hoping, needing something from you, Lord. We are those that have found that the world's cisterns are, are dry and leak and there's no uh, lasting satisfaction or happiness to be found there. So Lord, if, if, if not you, then who? And so we're thankful, Lord, that we, that satisfaction, that true inner peace uh, is, is comes from peace with, with you, Lord. That unless we have peace with you, we cannot be at peace with our fellow human beings, with our wives or husbands, with our children, Lord, that all the peace in the world will begin with peace with our God, Maker, Friend, Savior, Redeemer, Jesus Christ, Maker of heaven and earth. Father, so I pray for all of us that are here. Lord, we're here, we, we want to know the God we worship even better. With the Apostle Paul, we say that all the other things we've done in our lives, it's all rubbish compared to the excellence of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Nothing compares, Lord, to a heart that is connected to its maker, and to Jesus Christ. So Lord, as we open up your word, but help us to see the wondrous things you want to teach us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name, all God's anticipating people said, Amen. 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 So we'll begin with a little quiz, just out of curiosity. Can anybody give a guess as to what is the most popular, by far the most popular Bible verse quoted that's actually not in the Bible? Anybody have a guess? That's exactly right. Amen. God helps those who help themselves. You ever heard that quoted? Well, the Bible says God helps those. Guess what? The Bible doesn't say God helps those who help themselves. Now, I understand where that comes from. Historically, uh, it can be traced back to Aesop's fables. It can be traced back even to Greek philosophy. Um, Most recently, it's attributed to Benjamin Franklin and poor Richard's almanac. And I even understand the heart behind it. And in some ways, there's some truth to it. In other words, we know that our God is not a God who promotes laziness. Is that right? Okay, so we know God's not about laziness. And we know that God feeds the the birds, the sparrows. He doesn't wait for them to sit in the nest and just drop it into their mouths. They go and they find it. So in some ways, I understand what that means. But we're going to meet a man today in John chapter 5 who proves that actually when it, when it comes to our healing, the opposite is true. God helps those who can't help themselves. So we're in John 5, uh, verse 1. says, after this, the things that had we, we've been talking about the last few weeks, the, the healing of the, the nobleman's son. After this, there was a feast of the Jews. And Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there were three feasts per year that were sort of mandatory feasts Uh, We don't know which feast this is. People have speculated. Maybe it's a Passover, uh, another Passover. Maybe it's the Feast of Purim, uh, but we don't know for sure. But the point is, Jesus goes to Jerusalem. Uh, He was up in the, he had been previously up in the region of the Galilee, so he, he heads south. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. Bethesda uh, means House of Mercy. So this pool had the name House of Mercy. It's by the Sheep Gate. We visit this place. They've excavated it. They know where it is. We visit it when we go on our trips to Israel. It's right next to what's called the Singing Church, which is this beautiful uh, church with amazing acoustics and Groups go in there and they sing and it just sounds awesome. Anyway, they've excavated it and it's by the sheep gate. That would have been the gate into Jerusalem, into the city where they would have brought the sheep for the daily sacrifices. So that's where this pool is and it's got five porches. We're not talking, you know, decking and railings. These are colonnades, five colonnades, places where people um, would, would be in the shade, be um, waiting by this pool. And verse 3 tells us, again, John giving us the introduction to this meeting. In these, in in the colonnades, in the five porches, lay a great multitude of sick people. Blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. So, again, John painted a picture all around this pool. It's as if you could, I was trying to picture how we would, if you've never traveled to a foreign country to see beggars on the street to see those that are lame and paralyzed and blind on the streets, you know then maybe you don 't have a picture of this, but I imagined you know the Lake Monticello pool. I imagine taking a, a bus or a series of buses into Charlottesville, gathering all those that could into the buses from the, all the nursing homes around Charlottesville and bringing them all and laying them all out there by the pool there at Lake Monticello, all kind of waiting there in various states of health or disease. Um, that's what it would have been like. What a scene this must have been. Now, they're waiting there, the Bible tells us, for the moving of the water. And then John clarifies, gives us some background as to why this is significant. Verse 4 says, For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first, after the stirring of the water, was made well of whatever disease he had. Now that's kind of one of those difficult stories in the Bible. Now there's a lot of speculation again about, well, possibly that the, the pool was fed by a natural spring and every so often the spring would bubble up and cause the water to kind of stir a little bit and, and then people would, would you know head for the water because there was uh, a legend that had developed that if you got into the water after it bubbled up or stirred that you would be healed. Uh, Other people say that it's just simply a a myth that that this is how people have described the stirring of the water. Oh, it's an angel that goes down in. And um, some would say that it really was an angel and that was God's mercy for those people. I don't know the answer to that. But I do know there must have been something to it because I'm not sure how long you'd wait around if no one ever got healed there. I don't know if they'd be still waiting if every time a person got in, nothing changed for them. So there must have been Some truth to it. There must have been, whether it was like, you know, the placebo effect where people were expecting that they'd get better. And so, you know, they, they did find some relief. I don't know the answer, but I do know this that the victory went to the strongest. It was the first one in. So you can imagine the water stirs. I mean, I'd be telling people, let me get real. I'd be standing like right on the edge. As soon as the water stirred, boom, I'm in, right? Just roll off in or dive in or whatever. But it was the first one in would find the healing. And so I can imagine the competitive spirit, the self-centered spirit of, I'm going for my healing. I don't care about you. Guys. I'm going to run you over to get into that pool first because I want to be healed. Can you picture that? Everybody there sort of focused on their own life, their own healing, their own help. Everybody maybe, except for one we know of for sure. Verse 5 tells us, that we, we, bring, we narrow the focus. Now a certain man, was there who had an infirmity, a weakness, for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? So this man, 38 years, Jesus is probably only in his uh, early 30s at this time, so he'd been chronically ill for longer than Jesus had been alive after 38 years i'm what happens in your mind after 38 years of he's watching everybody else get healed all these other people and there's a great there's a whole load of people there and and 38 years is a long time isn't it that's that's what you call we what we would define as a chronic case and some of you again uh, you know, we we know we take these things physical is part of it but some of you have been sick spiritually for 38 years for 40 years for 50 years You've been dealing with stuff way back from your past, the old bitternesses, old unforgivenesses, uh, all, all kinds of things that you've been going through, and it's been a long time, and you think, well, this is just how life is for me. This is just the way that things are going to be for me. Uh, I've never, I've been to counselors, I've been to help, help programs, and no one's, this is just what my life is. After 38 years, you just kind of resign your fact that this is life, and you begin to operate that way. True? I would say, I would say that's probably pretty accurate. But then Jesus asks him this question. I mean, remember, Jesus is—we're focused on the fact it's been thirty-eight years, and Jesus knew. How did he know? Did he was he introduced to? The, did someone introduce him to this guy? Say, oh, look at that—that that guy's been here thirty-eight years. You know, he's—he was like a long-standing member of the Bethesda Pool Club. And Jesus asks him a stupid question, doesn't he? I mean, this is a dumb. Do you want to be made well? I mean, what kind of question is that, Jesus? Well, how would you answer that question after 38 years? You bet I do. I mean, what, what kind of question is that? Of course I want to be made well. But isn't it a valid question, though? I- I've thought about this a lot, and let me give you some, some background. Because, you know, in ministry, I deal with people uh, all the time. And, and it, you, you know people, you know yourself. And, and sometimes getting well means a change. You see, your whole life has surrounded the issue that you have. Your whole life has has catered to the things that you deal with. And, that, and you've set your whole life up around that set of behaviors or that illness or whatever it is. And, and that begins to be your identity. I met a guy a number of years ago, my first trip to Ukraine. His name was Tim. Young guy. <clears throat> I've lost touch with him since, but he had just gotten saved and was going on this mission trip to Ukraine. And we were roommates. And we had just met... And he was sharing his testimony with me that he had been an alcoholic and an ecstasy addict for many, uh, many, many years since since he was a teenager, probably in his 20s now, mid-20s at the time when I met him. And and he he had gotten saved and was off ecstasy and was uh, off alcohol, not drinking anymore. And he began to tell me how when he was high or when he was drunk, he kind of knew how to interact with people. He just... His whole identity was around being high or drunk, and he had all friendships that all revolved around being high and drunk and all these things, and he was very familiar with that. And now, he said to me, you know, I don't know who I am now. I'm, I'm trying to learn now how to interact with people without being high. And so we realized that sometimes uh, there there is a, a little bit of a, a change of cost in some ways to being made well. Irma Bombeck, you ever heard of Irma Bombeck? Not that I quote her a lot, but... She raised a number of kids, and when she said when she saw her last, when her last child got on the school bus to go to school, she said, there goes my excuse for everything. And so in some ways, when, you, you know, when the world is great at giving us labels and diseases by which we can define ourselves, in other words, well, I have uh, oppositional defiant disorder. Or, or you've heard of that one? It means I don't like to listen to anybody. I want my way. Or I have intermittent explosive disorder. Anybody have that? That's called being angry when people cut you off in traffic. I mean, but see, but but see, now I'm sick. I have a disease. Therefore, you shouldn't expect me to to do anything. I should, you know. Well, it's this is just my disease. It's just who I am. I'm just, you know. And so we begin to make excuses, and all of that revolves around. So the question really is, do you want to be made well? Now, I had you mark Ephesians 4. Go there with me. If you would. Because when a person comes to the Lord and their life is changed, we see this very thing happen. And we're we're a little off topic here, but I think you'll see the point in just a second. Ephesians chapter 4. Look down at verse 20. Ephesians 4.20 says, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the, the way you used to live, you put off the old man, the, the person I used to be, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. So that's, the, that's what you, you put off and you, you're renewed and therefore verse 24 tells us that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So there's something I put off as I get saved. So if this man is healed, it's going to change his life, isn't it? And we're going to see what happens as we go through the story. But I want you to think about this. And maybe this will be, I don't know if this is a good illustration or not, Um, maybe a little edgy for some of you, but I think think that it will prove to help illustrate the point. Let's say a woman made her living as a prostitute. She walked the streets for a living, and there, with that is a certain wardrobe, right? Uh, with that is a certain way of dressing, and then someone comes along and sets her free from that lifestyle and helps get her a new start, and she now begins life as a nurse, or she get, takes a job in an office building. Well, with that new role in her life, with that new life, is be uh, the need, she's going to go into her closet on Monday morning when she's getting ready for work, and she's going to see all the clothes that were attached to her prostitute lifestyle. And she's going to look at those and go, you know, I can't wear those. I'm not a prostitute anymore. And now I have this thing over here, and I need a new wardrobe. You wouldn't go to, or someone that's been in prison. They they love to give you good clothes when you're in prison. They give you wonderful jumpsuits and things like that. But when you get out, they're suitable for that place. But when you get out of prison, you don't keep a closet full of the jumpsuits you wore when you were in prison. Why? Because that was your old life. So the same thing, is, I'm not talking about clothes, physical clothes, but these are talking about behaviors. Your behaviors are like clothes. You've got to put off the old the old behaviors that were attached to the old man. And the Bible tells us to put on these new behaviors. Then the verses 25 through 32 just outline some of those behaviors that have been put off. You put off lying. You see, because for some of you, uh, these behaviors have worked for you over the years. You've just got good at lying. Lying has served your purposes. It's all part of the old person. Or stealing or whatever it might be. Uh, you, you've used anger. You've used your anger to manipulate people and make them do what you want them to do. Or how many of you understand that sometimes we feel like when we curse, it means that we're speaking with greater emphasis. I curse because it means I really mean it. Well, you, People ought to know you really mean it just from saying that you mean it. You shouldn't have to curse uh, that doesn't glorify God, a filthy mouth. So it's so the first thing that, that I put off when I got saved, I used to be a man, I used to curse terribly. And I got saved. And then I went to horseshoeing school with a bunch of cowboys. Right? So I go down, and, and after school was over, the guy that I apprenticed with came down, and the instructor from the school was talking to the guy that I was apprenticing with and said, to me, you know the one thing I've noticed about Steve, he never curses of all the things to notice, you know, my good looks, anything like that. He could have noticed all that stuff. Man, Steve no, no. He noticed I didn't care. People notice that stuff. and we, So anyway, I'm, I'm kind of off the topic, but I think what, you, what I want you to see is, it's a real valid question to ask this guy, do you want to be made well? And I want to ask that of this group this morning. And some of you, you've just been making excuses why you're not. Or it, Well, let's see, what, let's see what this guy answers that question. Let's see how he answers it. He doesn't say, well, you bet I do, or absolutely. The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I am coming, another steps down before me. So he doesn't answer the question directly, does he? He offers some reasons why he's not been healed. So the first first reason he offers is, people have let me down. You ever found that to be true? Well, I'm, 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 I am who I am because my parents let me down. I am who I am because the world has let me down. Nobody's been there for me. Sometimes it happens in church, right? Well, I'm, the people in church have let me down. They, they've not been there when I needed them there. It'll happen, folks. Guaranteed it'll happen. So the first thing is, people have failed me, but yet he still tries. And that's still to, that's not like in the past. This is still to this day. People are still failing him. Other people evidently have people that are carrying them to the water, but not him. But then he says, but while, so he's still trying, but while I am coming, that's present tense, another steps down before me. So what a sad, I mean, can you what a sad story for this guy. It's tried and tried and tried and still trying, and yet he continues, people have failed him and he's failed himself. I figure after 38 years, look, if after 38 years you haven't got better you aren't going to make yourself better. You need help. And and this guy realized and was honest with himself that he even his own strength has failed him. He just can't do it. While on, every as soon as the water stirs, he starts to get going and and ah oh, disappointment once again. I think he's probably come to the end of himself, don't you? Watchman knee. Uh, tells a story about being at a beach one time with a bunch of friends of his, one who was a lifeguard, and a man began to drown there in the water. And, and every, the, the lifeguard was just standing there as the man was flailing around in the water. And the, the people began, to say, well, well, go save him, go save him. And the guy kept saying, not yet, it's not not yet, not yet. And as soon as he went under, the lifeguard jumped in and pulled him to the shore and revived him. And they they all were like, mad at the like why did you wait so long he said if I had gone in while he still had strength he would have grabbed me he would have punched me he would have taken me down with him I had to wait till he had no more strength before I could rescue him and that I think is what Jesus is looking for in this guy I think he still wants to be but he's given up hope but he's still trying he realizes he's got no strength and this is what I say when I begin with saying God helps those who can't help themselves. Friends have let him down. He's got no strength. This is what the Bible says about my salvation, about your salvation. While I was still without strength in due time, Christ died for me. If you're still trying to save yourself, if you're still trying to fix yourself, a lot of people come in and say, say, I'll go to church as soon as I get my life straightened up. You ever heard somebody say that? I, I use the example, you know, I, love, I like to go to the gym, I like to work out, and, and I'm so thankful when I see people that are out of shape or whatever come to the gym, I'm like, thank God that you're, that you're here, that, you're, you know, that you've taken steps, uh, rather than condemning them for being out of shape or overweight or whatever. You Because know, sometimes people can say, well, I'll go to the gym as soon as I get in shape. <laughs> Does that make any sense at all? No, it doesn't make any sense. Well, that's the same thing as saying, well, I'll turn to Christ as soon as I get my life together. No, you need Christ to get your life together because you failed for 38 years to do it yourself. I failed for 26 years to get my life together myself. And I came to Christ and He put a, found, he put a foundation under me. The Bible says, fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You can't even start to be wise until you have an awe and a reverence for God. True? So this guy offers the excuses. Um, Jesus doesn't say, well, you know what? Let me take you down to the water. Jesus says to him, verse 8, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And, And these are imperatives. They're commands. And interestingly, the word rise, Jesus speaks to him a command, rise his word take up your bed i mean get get up off that thing you've been laying on all the, lat, in the last 38 years and then so it's those are instantaneous things rise take up your bed and then it's a present imperative the word walk which means and keep walking don't just walk around a circle and lay back down you've got to keep how many of you Christians know that you've got to keep walking you can't just get up, walk for a couple days, and then lay back down. That's the temptation. You know, what if the, the, the prostitute says, well, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a new wardrobe, but I'm going to keep some of these clothes around just in case I need them again someday. Just in case I feel like, no, you throw those clothes out, you burn those clothes, you don't need them anymore. They're not who you are. You're a new creation in Christ Jesus. So take up your bed, he says to the guy. You don't need it anymore. You're healed. Well, what if I'm what if next week? What if next year? No, you're healed. And whom the sun sets free is free indeed. But you got to keep walking. So what, is, what does he do to say, no? Come on, come on, quit playing with me. Quit toying with me, Jesus. That can't be. Look what he got, look what he does. The Bible says, and immediately the man was made well. He didn't need years of therapy. He didn't need appointments with his doctor. Whatever it was that was paralyzed or weakened, immediately as soon as Jesus spoke to him, it was fixed. He was healed immediately. And look at the order. Immediately the man was made well. Because if he wasn't made well, then it had been fruitless to try to get up and walk. But he was made well. And so, seeing that he was made well, he took up his bed and he walked. I wonder if he could have resisted. Do you ever think about that? I mean, could he have resisted the direct command of Jesus Christ to rise? Could he have just stayed there and said, well, I know what you say, but I don't believe it's true. I'm not going to rise. I don't believe I'm healed. I don't know the answer to that. Because what he does is he gets up, and he's healed, and he gets up and he walks, takes his bed and he walks. I don't know. Jesus' word is powerful. So you'll have to ponder that one over dinner tonight. Maybe you, maybe you have an answer for me, but I don't have the answer. So he takes his bed and he walks. God helps those who, what, cannot help themselves. He was completely and utterly helpless. And Jesus, he didn't even know who Jesus was. Jesus didn't ask him, well, he asked him, do you want to be made well? He didn't say, well, can I heal you? you know, can I pray for you? He just did it. He did it for him. And that day, now we have a little interjection here, Verse uh, end of verse 8 says, and that day was the Sabbath. Now that's significant because there's other people that are watching. Jesus could have done it two days before, two days after. I mean, the guy's been there 38 years, could have picked any day he wanted. But the Sabbath is, those of you that, that know the Bible know this is the day of rest. God created six days, the seventh day he rested from all of the work of creation, uh, that became a big deal. One of the commandments, the fourth commandment, honor the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Uh, so for them, it was, it, it, then by this time, they had added to that what how to keep the Sabbath. They had added many of their own explanations for what work was. Because it said, do no, you do no work on the Sabbath. Well, then you would say, well, gee whiz, what is work? Well, now we have to define what work is so we know if we're working or not. And there's a whole list of things that define for them uh, how to keep the Sabbath. Well, verse 10 says, The Jews, therefore, said to him who was cured, not Jesus, but to, to the guy, they said, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to carry your bed. I mean, come on, guys. Isn't that ridiculous? I mean, the guy's been 38 years in that condition, and all they can see is that he's carrying his bed that he used to lay on because he was stuck, and, uh, stuck there, and now he's healed. They don't go, oh, man, that's fantastic. You're healed. Wow, what a blessing. All they can and some people are like that. You know, maybe you're one of those people that all you see is the negative in everything. You know, there's something positive to see, and but all you see is what's not right. And instead of noticing and, and commenting the fact that he was, you know, and look, I I love this fellowship. I love the diversity in this fellowship. I love that we're a place where people can invite unsaved friends. And and remember my friend Timothy, I was telling you about Tim from Ukraine? So we're on this trip, he's telling me how he's free from ecstasy, he's free from alcohol, but he still smokes cigarettes. And so I'm thinking, praise the Lord. I mean, this guy's getting set free, addiction by addiction. And yet someone from the church from someone else from the church group comes up to me and says, He still smokes cigarettes. I'm like, well, leave him alone, you know? Come on, give him a break. He's been saved like a month, you know. God's doing a work in his life. And instead of seeing that he'd been healed from those things, all they could see, well, he still smokes cigarettes. Well, it doesn't say in the Bible that smoking will send you to hell. It'll just get you there, get you to heaven quicker if you're saved. That's all. <laughs> so, But the issue for them on the Sabbath was carrying. Now, I'll read this to you because they had a very, very complex system of rules For what you couldn't couldn't carry, because back in Jeremiah uh, chapter 17, specifically Jeremiah had said, you know, by the Lord that you that the Jews were not to carry a burden into the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And as you read it, you can just write down Jeremiah seventeen, go read it later but clearly and, and if you read the book of Nehemiah you see clearly what's being talked about is no commerce on on Saturday on the Sabbath that was to be a day where no one was buying or selling or or you know setting up their shop and doing their things and they're not supposed to come in looking to do business on the Sabbath it's clear that that's the burdens were the things you were going to sell uh, for that day it's clearly but but they began to define so here's how they Here's how they defined it. The Mishnah, or their oral laws, oral tradition, lays it down that in order to constitute sin, a thing must have been carried from one locality in another entirely and immediately. And that it must have been done in the way in which things are ordinarily carried. If an object which one person could carry is carried by two, they're not guilty. Finally, like all labor on the Sabbath, that, uh, that like cutting, you can't cut your nails or you can't cut your hair, um, but an interesting note he says on the Sabbath with John 5 is that you can carry a living person on a pallet, the pallet being regarded as an accessory to the man, while to carry a dead body in such a manner, or even the smallest part of a dead body, would involve guilt. And I'm thinking, who thinks of this stuff? I mean, did they have a problem with people carrying parts of dead bodies around the city? Well, people shouldn't be able to do that on the Sabbath. They had to define how much would a burden was anything heavier than a fig Was a burden, and if you're going to carry, uh, see, because it goes back to not buying or selling in terms of your your commerce. So if you were going to carry water, all you could carry was a mouthful, not enough to sell, just enough for yourself. So all you know, you you, they questioned whether you could wear your dentures on the Sabbath. I mean, it's ridiculous. It's crazy. Absolute burden. So they say to the guy, hey, you know, you're you're carrying your mat. That's not lawful. And he answered them. He said. He who made me well said to me, take up your bed and walk. I mean, the guy that healed me said, said I should do it. I figured it out. I'm listening to him. Then they asked him, well, who is the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? But the one who was healed did not know who it was. For Jesus had withdrawn a multitude being in that place. I mean, can you imagine after they saw him heal this guy? He'd have been just pummeled by people wanting to be healed. But notice, Jesus didn't heal everybody in that place that day. He healed one that day for a specific point so that we could know and believe. So they, you know, Jesus had withdrawn. He said, I don't know who the guy was. Now, a couple more verses and then we'll be through. So afterward, Jesus found him where, folks? Where does it say Jesus found him? Was he still on his mat by the pool? Would there be any reason? Look, would there be any reason for him still to be in the place he, he used to be before he was healed? That's where all the multitude of sick and lame and blind and paralyzed people stayed. Now he's healed. He doesn't hang out there anymore. There's some places where you used to hang out before you were healed by the Lord, spiritually. Before you were saved. You have no reason to hang out there before. You used to hang out at the bars. You used to hang out at parties where people were doing those things. You used to hang out at places. There's no reason that you should be hanging out there anymore. So where does Jesus find him? What's the Bible say? He's in the temple. He's in the temple. He's in the house of God, probably offering something of thanksgiving, probably there to pray and give thanks to God for his healing. We don't know, but that's where Jesus finds him, in the temple. And that's where, in the house of God, is as he's he's gotten up, he's walked, and he's kept walking where? Right into the house of God. And that's where he is. And Jesus finds him, and look what he says to him. He says, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. Oh, that probably made them so mad. That probably made them so mad because they'd never done that. But we'll, we'll stop here, but not before we make a comment about Jesus' comment to him. Uh, many speculate that maybe his condition was because of sin. Maybe something he'd been involved in in his life, some sinful activity he'd been involved in, that that had caused his problem. We don't know for sure. Um, but we do know this, that in reality, a lot of times it is our sin that causes our problems, isn't it? Whether it's a physical problem or relational problems or emotional problems, it's oftentimes traced back to our sin. Now, there are some sicknesses that aren't a result of, of a specific sin in a, problem, uh, in a problem in a person's life. The book of Job makes that clear. Job was a righteous man, yet had tremendous physical health issues. But sometimes it does. Sometimes your sin does lead you to physical problems. Sometimes your sin does lead you to emotional problems, and psychological problems, and relational problems. And a person, look, your body, because so we get together for prayer meetings, and what's everybody praying for? My aunt Edna's, you know, bunion and my my this and I got that and and I'm not saying we shouldn't pray for physical healing, we do. And God, we know from the Bible that God does give gifts of healings in the body of Christ. But know this that a person can be healed physically and continue spiritually separated from God. And sometimes uh, people will come into the the house of God, they come seeking the Lord because of their issue, God does a tremendous work in their life, and, and then what does that enable them to do? Go right back where they were. Get right back into the thing that they w- were doing before. And so Jesus says to him, sin no more. The, the Apostle John writes, I, says, I write to you so that, that you may not sin, and meaning that you may not continue in sin. So God's grace is not so you can continue sinning. God's grace is so you can start doing what's right in your life. And he says, sin no more. Why? Lest a worse thing. There's some things that are worse than physical problems, than physical issues, aren't there? There are some issues that that go back to sinfulness in my life that that can cause me much worse problems. I'd rather have a, a broken body and a whole spirit than a whole body and a broken spirit. Amen? So what have we learned today? God helps those who? can't help themselves, amen, amen. so um, the question for you, as Phil and the praise team come up, uh, we get visitors in this church every week, uh, week after week, new faces are among us, and I, many of the faces I know, many of you guys have been here for a long time, but there's there's maybe some new faces today, and my question is and maybe for some of you that have been around a long time and you're enjoying what you're hearing and you're, and you're into it and you're following along. But my question to this congregation today is, if you're still if you're still in a place of dis-ease, mentally, physically, emotionally, then the question is, do you want to be made well? And if you do, Jesus' word to you is rise. Take up your bed and walk. So if as we stand and sing a final song, as you're considering those things, as you're rising right now. Okay, as you're rising right now, are you all right, wake the person up next to you. They're sleeping. Wake them up. Tell them, hey, it's time to get up. Jesus said so. But, but I, let me be serious for a minute. Let me be serious. Uh, for that man by the pool, his life was never going to be the same again. And that's the story of everyone who turns to Christ. The Bible says, old things have passed away. Behold, all things are made new. I'm, you guys remember Colonel who passed away, I guess it was last year now. Um, Colonel was baptized at age 94. How long he had been in his spiritual condition until he heard the gospel and rose and started walking with the Lord. So I want to invite you, it don't, I don't, doesn't matter how old or young you are, doesn't matter how long you've been dealing with the things you're dealing with, that today can be the day of your salvation. Today could be the first day of the rest of your life, the day that everything changes for you, the day that you stop making excuses for who you are and what you've done, the day that you give up the old clothes, the old behaviors that dealt with the the previous life, and you can embrace a new life in Jesus Christ today. Eternal life starts now. Amen? Amen. Let's sing.